We often give lawyers a hard time, don't we? But the truth is, having a great advocate when you stand before the judge can be a lifesaver. There are three men in my life who are lawyers. And I not only count them as great friends, but also as humble and passionate followers of Jesus Christ. I hope in your lifetime you get a chance to know some great lawyers, hopefully never professionally, but certainly relationally. And if there winds up being only one lawyer you lawyer up with, I'm hoping it's Jesus. Now, if that sounds a little bit strange, I think maybe John chapter 2 and verse 1 might shed a little bit of light on that. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we will have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. And the church said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for that truth. And I'm going to need your help this morning um, to unpack it. I realize I'm not the only person who is endeavoring to speak on your behalf, to speak your word so that uh, you might be lifted up and glorified. I know my brother, um, John Wheat's not in the pulpit this week because of um, struggling with cancer and having to have surgery. And so we ask uh, on his behalf and that church's behalf, would you please bless him with your grace and mercy. Thank you, Father, for Trinity Baptist Church and um, the brothers and sisters they have been to so many of us personally. But, Father, we ask you for all the disciples in Kerrville, would you please help knit our hearts together as one body of Christ. This world needs to see us united. You said to believe that your son came. And so we're asking together in one voice, would you do that? In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said. Now this phrase, an advocate who pleads our case, is actually one word in the Greek text. It's the word paraclete. Now it's only used by the Apostle John in his writings, and he does it five times. Once here in 1 John but four other times in his gospel. We'll come back to that at the end of the lesson. John, knowing Jesus like few ever would, chooses to describe him as an advocate that pleads our case. And I think that's a good translation because paraclete was a term in Jesus' day by which a lawyer was described. Now, the actual word for lawyer in the Greek is nokimos. But the role of a lawyer was the term paraclete, one who intercedes, one who arbitrates, one who pleads a case of another before a judge. And I love the imagery that John is unpacking here because I think it helps us better understand how it is that Jesus saves us. Because an offense has been committed. Let me remind you of that. An offense has been committed. Laws have been broken and justice needs to be served. And here's the bad news. You and I are the guilty party. Now, the prosecuting party is the devil. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 calls him the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night. Now, what Satan wants to keep before God are the charges he has against you. And those accusations don't stop when you become a Christian. <laughs> Man, I wish they did. But back in verse 1, if you remember... John says, I'm writing this 
so that you will not sin. Now, that's the goal of my life when I make Jesus Christ my Lord. But while that's the the bar that I set for myself, the truth is, the reality is, I still sin, and so do you. As a matter of fact, here in chapter 1 and verse 8, John says, If we say that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you don't think that you're a sinner, even a recovering sinner, if you're a Christian, you're a liar. You're a liar. And you're deceiving yourself. And John made that point last week, and I'm glad we could move on and out of that point, but it's a truth we still need to understand. If we say without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, here's the truth that we still need to get out of that this morning. And this, that's this. I didn't put it up on the board, but I probably should have. A Christian should sin less. Say sin less. But no Christian is ever going to be sinless. A Christian should sin less if you are in the light and walking in the light. That's the norm. John's going to paint a picture and a truth for us in this book of his. But none of us is ever going to be sinless. We will never reach the point in this body that we don't need an advocate who intercedes on our behalf. As a matter of fact, in some ways, we Christians, I think, are more burdened with condemnation than non-Christians. And that's because we truly have invited the light of the world to shine into our hearts and into our lives. And it's done what light does. It exposes darkness. And so we've seen those places in our lives where we've broken God's law and broken his heart. We've been exposed to those things. And now now through the power of the Spirit, we can ask for forgiveness and repent. And we can move down another path in life. But I'm never going to be sinless. The reality is the accuser, because of that, is going to be right there in my mind, dogging my steps because I give him all the material he needs to condemn me on a daily basis. He has grounds to assault my conscience because I stand justly accused of violating God's holy law. Now, I'm using me as an example because that's true, but it also includes you. This is what sin is. Sin, when you break it down in its just simplest form, is you violating God's perfect law for your life. John 3, 4 says this, all sin opposes the law of God. And God's holiness demands justice for that opposition. And I think innately most human beings know. Most human beings have this deep sense in their hearts that someday, someway, somehow, we're going to have to answer to a higher power, to a higher authority because of the injustices we know we're responsible for. Now, if you're a Christian, you better believe that, because here's what the Scripture says. It is in the plan, the big plan, the big story, that all men die once, and after that, they will be judged before God. That's in the plan. None of us are going to be able to claim innocence when we stand in front of that judge on that day. And Satan, the accuser, has unquestionable, compelling evidence, starting with me and everyone else in this room, that we have violated the laws of God both before we became a Christian and after. Now, in light of those facts, you know this. Men are going to stand before God, and they're going to have a defense. Most of them are going to try to defend themselves. Some are going to play the victim card. We looked at some of these last week. Lord, in light of my situation and terrible circumstances that I've had to face, this is all I could do, this is all I could be, and so I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court. You've got to understand, I'm a victim, God. 
Some are going to play the comparative card. <laughs> They're going to stand before God and say, yes, I, viol- I violated your law, Lord, but not nearly as much as my boss or my dad or have you seen my brother-in-law? <laughs> I'm a saint compared to him. But the most popular defense is going to be this one, the balance card. Yes, Lord, I've made some mistakes. But on the whole, when you look at my life, surely the good outweighs the bad, right? Surely I've done more right things than I have wrong things. And here's what I'm going to say in the case of all three. Actually, they're the words of Daniel Webster. A man who serves as his own attorney has a fool for a client. Wow, Job understood that long before Daniel Webster was even a gleam in his mother's eye. Job said these words about God when he thought he deserved an audience with the judge. How can a person declare himself innocent in God's sight? If someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? For God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? Let me ask you the, church. Let me ask you the question. Who has ever challenged God successfully? Nobody. Nobody. Which is why you need a lawyer up. You need a divinely appointed lawyer to intercede for you, to speak for you on your behalf. And the good news is, the appointed one for you is the anointed one. John's going to write, your lawyer is Jesus Christ. He says so in John, but he also says so in Hebrews. For Christ has entered into heaven himself to appear now before God as our advocate. Now, I know some of you are wondering, why in the world would he take my case? John says it's because of a love that's out of this world. It's certainly not because we can pay him back. What in the world could I offer as reimbursement for Jesus being my attorney? Why would he take the case? The first point John's going to make in his letter boldly and clearly and often is that he offers a love to us that is so holy and so faithful and so beyond our imagination that our brains can barely wrap around it. Here's what he says. In John chapter 4 and verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This real love, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I love that. When they put Jesus on the cross, he didn't stay there because of nails. He made the iron ore that made those nails. No, nails didn't hold Jesus. I love how Max Lucado puts this. Love did. Loved it. I'm going to hear some more from him in just a minute. The holy God of heaven sent Jesus to defend me because he couldn't bear the thought of living forever without me and without you. So let me encourage you this morning to lawyer up, church with an advocate like that now. Though the cross declares that you are loved unconditionally, we cannot wrap our brains around that. And here's why. Because I have never been completely and totally loved purely unconditionally in my life. I've had some loving people in my life, don't get me wrong. But I have never completely and totally and purely loved someone else unconditionally. Not my wife, not my kids, not anybody. At some level, I believe all of us love with some performance level in mind from the people that we're loving. And so we think that's how God loves us. 
Yeah, sure, God loves me. But if I would just do A, B, and C, I know he'd love me more. Yeah, sure, God loves me. But if I'd stop doing X, Y, and Z, then I'm almost convinced he would love me more. And the Spirit says, no. That's the way you love. That's not God's way. God's way is there's nothing that you could do for me to love you more, and there's nothing that you could do to make me love you less. That's his way. Friend, Jesus takes your case because he loves you. But you need to understand something. His love in his heart didn't save you. His demonstration of that love on a cross is what saved you. And that's what the gospel is all about. Now I'm going to use Butch Dixon here as an example if he'll let me. forgot to ask her. I may have to pay him 25 bucks when we're done. This may sound poetic, but I think it's true. As much as I love Butch Dixon, and I love him a lot, if he was found guilty for embezzling money from his construction company, which he helps to be a part of, and he was sentenced to jail for 90 days, and if out of the love of my heart I said, I want to serve that time, I want you to know not a state in the union would allow me to do so. Isn't that interesting? Now, I know it's true because I looked it up on Google last night. Asklawyer.com. Can't do that. Not a state in the union would allow me to take his 90-day sentence. So how could Jesus? Well, it's just as much a dilemma. See, our advocate Jesus has to defend and honor and preserve the holy law of God. He has to. He can't help himself. He's holy. But we broke that law. So how is God going to be just and you not pay the price? John says it's more than a loving sacrifice. Here's the key. He says it's a sinless sacrifice. See, usually the lawyer for the prosecution claims the defendant is guilty. We've all seen that in the courtroom. And then usually uh, the lawyer for the defense says, no, no, sir, he's not guilty. But you know what our lawyer says? Uh, yeah, God, sportsman's guilty. Yep, so is Caroline. So is Butch. So is Art. So is, so is Scott. So is Chad. Guilty. He agrees with the charges? Yeah. He doesn't claim that you're a victim of extenuating circumstances. He doesn't claim that you're not guilty compared to others. He doesn't even claim that on balance, your good outweighs the bad in your life. No, because justice demands death. We know Romans 3 and verse 23. It's been, been shared too many times in our life. The wages of sin is, say it with me, death. We know that. And so Jesus offered us his. And the reason his death is effective when nobody else's would be is found at the end of verse 1. One little phrase in the court of heaven is going to be a game changer. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Okay, so why does that matter? Two reasons. Number one, he perfectly fulfilled the law of God. Perfectly. He never used his mouth to put the knife of betrayal in someone's back. He never cheated on his Torah exams. He never lied to his dad about where he was with the boys last night. He never drank wine to the point of becoming drunk. Now, he joked, but he did so without ever being demeaning. He enjoyed the presence of women without living out a fantasy of immorality in his mind. He worked with hammers and wood that didn't always cooperate without ever saying a golf word. He lived on Sabbath without ever violating the Sabbath. Jesus 
never violated the law of God. Here's what Romans 5 says. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, and we know Adam was responsible for that, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. We know Jesus is responsible for that. Paul continues. For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Question. How could Jesus pay the penalty for your sin if he had a penalty for his own? Because he didn't. He was Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He never broke the law of God, unlike us. Now, number two, not only did he perfectly fulfill the law of God, he also perfectly satisfied the law with his death. His death. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming that curse for us. I didn't put this one down, but I probably should have. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who, became, he who knew no sin, key there, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Powerful, powerful words. And if they're true, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Now that's hard for us to believe. <laughs> it really is. It's hard for us to believe. That it's enough. That simple gift of Christ on the cross is enough. And ever since it's been offered to us, God's church has been trying to come up with something to add to it to make us feel better about ourselves and our relationship with God. I've been calling it Grace Plus or Jesus Plus. In every generation, the temptation has come up with ways that we can impress the judge just in case the judge isn't impressed with Jesus. Greg was clearing out his office and came across the incorporation papers of this church in 1960. It stated that you could not be considered a part of Jesus' church if you held the premillennial view of Scripture, if you were against Sunday school classes, and if you ever used an instrument of worship in the building. That's what I mean when I say Jesus plus makes us feel better about standing before God graced. Now, by God's grace, those papers of incorporation have been changed, and the church said, amen. <laughs> but the truth is, even the most grace-oriented of all churches still struggle to trust our attorney that his defense is enough. I love how the message reads in this next scripture. When he served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for good. For good. Not only ours, but the entire world's. Now, I don't know if you're getting this. Because I, I, this is really deep in theology and it's hard for me to, to, to understand this, let alone teach it. But man, this is good news to me. I, and I want you to lawyer up with this kind of an advocate. I really do. Now, the accuser is going to try and charge you with crimes, even if you do, that you've already been judged by and paid for, so be prepared for that. Don't you dare let him step in and destroy the good news of what we've been talking about this morning, but you know what? That's easier said than done, because I mean, he has been on me this week. 
He knew the importance of this message and what it would mean if we actually got this message a little deeper and a little bit wider than we have in the past. But God, His Spirit has been enabled me and empowered me to get this far, and I'm praying He'll do the same, to encourage you, come on, let's lawyer up with this. And I know it's hard to wrap our minds around, but, but let me give you the summation. I promise you you'd hear a little bit more from Max in a minute. Here it is. Great summation of these difficult biblical texts. By his perfect life, Jesus fulfilled the commands of the law. By his death, he satisfied the demands of sin. And Jesus suffered not like a sinner, but as a sinner. Why else would he cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ponder the achievement of God then. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. But rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin and then incredibly sentences himself. God's holiness is honored then, our sin is punished, and we are redeemed. We're redeemed. God is still God. The wages of sin is still death. And we're made perfect. And I love this. That's right. Perfect. And he quotes Hebrews 10 and verse 14. With one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You can interrupt that with an amen. I love it. With one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Not sinless, but we're sinning less. And I love how he ends this. Jesus did what we could not do so that we could be what we dared not dream. Perfect before God. Perfect before God. I wish I was perfect with one of these, but I'm not. December 26th, 1944. A great act of heroism took place that wasn't honored until almost 30 years later for a man by the name of Lieutenant John Fox. He was a forward observer for the 366th Infantry Regiment. Infantry Regiment. He noticed a surprise advance of some German troops so large that his regiment, he knew, were, was not going to be able to repel them. And so he raided in for rocket fire to be dropped. And the radio operator said, Sir, I can't do that. That's your current position. He said, There's no time to argue. I'm calling for the rockets. Release them now. And the rockets were released on top of Lieutenant John Fox. Later that day, they discovered hundreds of dead German soldiers and Lieutenant John Fox and the advance of the Germans was shut down completely. And countless American lives were saved. In church, all because Lieutenant John Fox called down fire on himself to defeat an enemy and save his brothers. You don't need for me to make the application, do you? Because our Lord called down fire, the holy, just, wrath, fire of our God upon himself. To the point that he said, my God, my God, why would you forsake me? Also that you would know your sin debt was being paid in that moment. That the fire you deserve was falling upon him. Yes, justice fell that day, but it missed you. Because it fell on someone who loved you so much. And he's never lost a case. This advocate of ours. So I'm encouraged you lawyer up with him. Now, it's got to be noted that this case that I've just presented is absolutely defenseless if you try to defend yourself before a holy God. His blood cleanses sins. Listen to me, not excuses. His blood cleanses sins, not man-made arguments. 
John says his defense is sufficient for the entire world. But listen to me, it's only efficient when you ask him to be your advocate. And his defense is our only hope. But I'm going to close with this. It is a certain hope, though. It is a certain hope. Which raises the question, then, if it is certain, why do so many of his clients struggle with the spirit of condemnation? Me included. You know what I'm talking about. You're driving in your car, you're taking a shower, and suddenly you're just flooded with the memory of the last time you broke the law of God. And you're filled with shame, and the next thing you know, you are a nervous as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. That's one of my favorite old-timey sayings. And I get that way almost on a weekly basis, if not sometimes a daily basis. Oh, you're right, Satan. Yeah, I did that. I should be ashamed of myself for that. And I forget to add, but Jesus has forgiven that. And the Spirit's empowering me to be over that. Because he's just so relentless with the condemnation. It comes, and it comes, and it comes. Why in the world would he do that if he knows he can't win this case? Why in the world would he do that even if he knows he can't win the war? It's because even the devil knows if he can't steal my salvation, he can't rob me of my joy. That might be the benefit to leading someone else to salvation. And so that's why he stays on you like stink on a dead dog. Do you go by the stink of the dead skunk out there? Yeah, like stink on that. He is on me like that all the time. That's why you've got to have Romans 8 in your heart. Listen to these words. Let me remind you of these powerful words from our incredible defense attorney. This resurrection life you've received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. Now, we know who He is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. And if we go through the hard times with Him, then we certainly will be going through the good times with Him. Man, I love those words from Paul in Romans chapter 8. And John uses a word there, paraclete. Actually, Paul uses the word there, paraclete, that John uses five times in his writings. Now, I mentioned one of them is only used here in 1 John. The other four are used in the Gospel of John. Four times Jesus uses this word for the Holy Spirit. Let me share those with you quickly, and we're done. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete, another advocate, another defense attorney to help you and be with you forever. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the paraclete, the the defense lawyer, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. 1526. And when the advocate comes, the paraclete comes, the defense attorney comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he'll testify about me. And one more, John 16, 7. Very, very, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good I'm going away. Yeah, right, the disciple said. No, 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 you need to understand. Unless I go away, the paraclete can't come. The advocate can't come. Ah, but if I go, I will send him to you. 
Can I remind you, sister, that whenever the adversary begins to assault you with his con- con- condemning thoughts this week, and he will, Jesus says, I will send you an advocate to live in you. He is the spirit of truth, and he will speak into your hearts the truth that you need to remember about me to repel his assaults. So I guess the question is, are you listening? If you're in Christ and and the light of Christ is in you and you claim to be walking in the light, then just as he promised his disciples he would send an advocate, the paraclete, that defense attorney to be with you and in you. He's in you. We just read that in Romans chapter 8. Are you listening? Are you learning? This one just floors me. (laughs) As a church, sometimes it has prided ourselves on knowing the scripture. How well do we know this Holy Spirit? We're not under the the law anymore, Paul says. We're under the new covenant of the Spirit. And yet we know so little about him, so many of us. Are you listening to him? Well, how can you be when you're not really sure he's even there? Maybe you need a little bit more learning. Because that will lead to some leaning. When you lean into those promises that he makes about you. Because he is with you. For what he can do in and through you. And Jesus promises he can do much. Paul says it this way. When you learn, maybe you get past crawling to walking, just walking, not running, but walking with the Spirit. Here's some of the things you can expect to be in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Supernaturally. Not dependent upon you. Now, dependent upon this trust in this paraclete, in this lawyer, in this advocate. Yes. Believing that he's with you. Allowing him to work in you and through you. Those things will be manifest. I'm not making this up. And that ought to give us joy. But so often it doesn't. Because I'm convinced we don't know him very well. This spirit that he's left with us until he comes back for us. Are you listening? Are you learning? And are you leaning in? If you are, I can assure you that is one lights out life. Father, we love you. And I'm the first to confess this morning, no, I don't listen often enough. My passion for learning hasn't been great enough. And I certainly have been leaning enough into your promises that you've made of who I can be in and through you, with you in and living through me. So we come together as a family today, trying our best to say, we want to believe, help our unbelief that you truly sent not just an eternal advocate in Jesus, but you sent us an internal advocate of the Spirit. Help us to lawyer up today, God. Help us to allow you to come alongside and inside and truly live in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, who made it all possible, and everyone said, we're going to stand and sing this song of encouragement, inviting you. If you want in on some of that, (laughs) here's where you start. Let's sing this song. Come if we can help you. In Jesus' name.